Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. 15 years ago, 23-year-old Norwegian student Martina Vik Magnusson was killed in an apartment near Mayfair. 23-year-old Martin Vik Magnusson was found partially buried in the basement. Before being questioned, the only suspect in the case had fled the UK to Yemen. I made a promise to Martina's family to find out what happened. Murder in Mayfair, part of the documentary. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry on Discovery for the BBC. This is the programme where you send us in the queries, questions and conundrums that you are curious about. And we will look into them on your behalf using the power of science. So please do send us your questions, curiouscases at bbc.co.uk and on with the show. After our major maths nerd out in the pie episode from last series, loads of you wrote in to ask for some more maths. Did they though? Yes, they did, Adam. Yes, they did. This is what the listeners want. And you know what? I know you're going to enjoy this by the end. Will I? You enjoyed the pie episode by the end. Mm, I did. You did. And today we're venturing into extra weirdness because, you know... Pi, ultimately, it's just a number that's slightly bigger than three. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's not that weird and wonderful. Uh, quite easy to grasp. <laughs> Today, Adam, we are going to go for stuff that are much stranger, much more difficult to conceptualise, and yet numbers that are indispensable in maths, engineering and physics. Today, Adam, we're talking about imaginary numbers. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> OK, wait, wait. Let me... You know... The number nine, right? What's the square root of nine? Three. Correct. What's the square root of minus nine? (laughs) (laughs) Minus three. Right? Well, it can't be. The square root of of minus nine can't be minus three because minus three times minus three is nine. I have an answer for you. Mm -hmm. The square root of minus nine is there isn't one. Uh, Well, that is what people thought for a long time. Sensible people. (laughs) But people also thought that you couldn't divide one number over the other. People thought that there wasn't a zero for a really long time. And so mathematicians don't like the idea of having a question without an answer. And it turns out that there is an answer to what is the square root of minus nine. But you can only do it if you know what the square root of minus one is. And that, my friend, is the topic of today. Right. Okay. well, listener Peter Scott did ask in an email, should you have a programme on the square root of minus one? Well, Peter... I'm going with no, but it may be that I've already lost this battle. In, indeed you have, because the answer is yes. And we've got two fellow maths nerds to help us navigate through this weird landscape. We've got Dr Michael Brooks, author of The Math That Made Us. And Dr Eleanor Knox, a philosopher of physics from King's College London, currently a visiting fellow at the University of Pittsburgh. And you last heard her on the Pi programme. Mm-hmm. OK, well listen, Michael, we'll start with you. We've, we've established that the square root of minus one is a it's an impossible concept who first came up with this nutso idea and what were they up to so it's a guy called jerome cardano who was working in italy in the 16th century and he was solving some cubic equations like you do and he discovered that basically in the middle of his calculations he had a root square root of minus 15 to deal with and it sort of stopped him in his tracks and he said 
that's not right. You know, you can't do that. He knew that you can't have the square root of a negative number. And he sort of said, this seems like it's an impossible case, was what he wrote down. So he said, you know, this is arithmetic subtlety, or there's something odd about all of this. Uh, but he went on to kind of, you know, work out a sort of sidestep. He basically carried on with the calculation and got to an answer that worked in the end. So it was fine. But he did at least acknowledge that this was actually a real thing that was really there in the maths, which previous mathematicians, like Heron of Alexandria, had said, um, oh, I've just got something wrong and scrubbed out the negative. <laughs> which is, I, I would have gone with heron of alexandria <laughs> if i knew anything about him him a bird is that a heron he, he, he was a, he was a man okay right, right. Man. not so, an actual heron thank yeah. you that's okay. useful information <laughs> so cardano then so he doesn't ignore this he he recognizes that it's a real thing but also acknowledges that it's a it's a slightly quirky concept what he, happens next he basically says it's too hard for him to deal with so he he kind of talks about it writes a bit about it and and then sort of moves on and he's he's working with his student uh, Ludovico Ferrari to kind of you know advance the frontiers of maths and um and so he just doesn't want to get distracted so he just leaves it you know how you said there uh just doing some cubic equations as though it's like a standard thing that you do on a wednesday afternoon right? i mean i know that not everyone has as an exciting a life as i do <laughs> um, but the, around this time the renaissance there's a lot of this going on isn't there yeah because these things are really important so if you can solve you know first of all quadratic equations so x squared and then the cubic with x cubed, x to the power of three, uh, and then the quartic, x to the power of four. If you can solve these things, you work out ways to solve them, you can make a lot of money from it. First of all, because all the financiers want to employ you because it helps them to calculate good rates of interest. And also, you know, you can get university teaching posts by solving equations that other mathematicians can't solve. So if you know the solution to a cubic equation, you can challenge somebody who's got a job you want, challenge them to a mathematical duel in the street <laughs> where you set each other 30 problems and people watch you try and solve them. And and you lose or win a job on, Wait, on the basis whoa, of this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did this happen? Are this you describing really happened. real phenomenon? Yeah, so uh, Cardano nearly got tangled up in one, except that he... Um, so there was a guy called Niccolo Tartaglia who wanted to challenge him because he said that Cardano had published a solution that Tartaglia owned. So, um, this is wild. So he, he got very upset and challenged Cardano to a duel after lots of nasty letters. Maths duel. Maths duel. And, um, and Cardano said, I'm not doing that, but... But the, his student, Ferrari, said, I, I'll do it, and took him on. And because uh, Ferrari had worked out the solutions to the quartic equations and Tartaglia hadn't, Ferrari just sent him 30, 30 <laughs> questions that were just like quartic that he knew how to solve and the other guy didn't. And, and Tartaglia didn't even turn up. Wow. <laughs> but people that's, used that's to watch hardcore. this. This was like a public spectacle. Right. They also, also used to hang people as public spectacles. <laughs> so I, I don't know whether and that's... And there wasn't a, maybe much entertainment as well. I don't so, know whether you know. that's in the plus column or the negative column. <laughs> but, but then this, this idea, when does it become imaginary rather than impossible? So um, Cardano doesn't do anything with it. And then a couple of decades later, uh, Raphael Bombelli sort of works out the maths of doing you know, complex numbers with imaginary parts and real parts. But then nobody really does much with it for a, really a couple of centuries. So then Descartes turns up, calls them imaginary in a kind of very uh, derogatory kind of way, like, you know, what's the point of this? So, OK, Descartes was essentially just throwing some 18th century shade yeah. um, <laughs> on this, which is fine. But the thing is, is that you shouldn't get sidetracked, Eleanor, should you, by, uh, by thinking of them as imaginary, even though... They are technically different from real numbers. Shall we? Is it? Do you think that we can we <laughs> load Adam's brain with the difference between the two? 
<laughs> so real numbers um, are the ones that we're usually pretty familiar with. You start off with the integers and you start off counting and then you learn about fractions right. and eventually you have a long line, right? All of the numbers that you're familiar with and 11 in, from school, <laughs> 11's a real number. It's 14. 2.34 is a real number. It's going to take a, a really real long time if we go through all of them, Adam. <laughs> 23. Um, That's not a real yeah. number, is it? But, but look, I mean, zero is also a real number and minus 10 is a real number too. So they're not quite just the numbers that you use to count, you know, blocks in your kid's toy box. Oh, all right. How should we think of this? Uh, Adam wants the same possible. I say perfectly, perfectly fine number. Well, I mean, you could think of you know, I as just something that we've made up that's terribly, terribly useful, right? You need some solutions to some equations. You wanted to know what the square root of a negative number was. And we just kind of made up this number and popped it in. And all of a sudden, a lot of things become a lot easier. And that's sometimes how maths works. Um, <laughs> You know, just making, you can't make up numbers. You can't just make up numbers to make your equations work. You can you make can't. up. There you are can. numbers, you can't just make them up. Zero. Yeah. Where is it? It's, it's no things. Can you see it? No. <laughs> can you hold it? Is this a song? I, <laughs> it should be. I'm going to release it as a B-side. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it just, you know, these mathematical conveniences because your equations don't work. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're imaginary. It's not imaginary, but now, though. But it gets weird because, you know, they turn out to be useful. So you have this thing that you make up to solve an equation and it turns out to do lots of other things too. All right. Okay. I feel like I'm, I need a recap just for my own purposes here. So I, which is the square root of minus one, which is invented, doesn't exist, is impossible to conceptualise, but it does follow certain rules. Mm -hmm. And we know that it came about from people like Cardano and the Heron guy who just ignored <laughs> it uh, to solve some... Pointless equations, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, and at some point in history, it switched from being an impossible number to an imaginary number, <laughs> which is my Homer Simpson voice. Thank, thank, thank you very much, Adam. That's uh, that's oh, a, I'm what, on top of this. what a wonderful summary. We appreciate it. But you know what, though? Okay, all of this stuff about being pointless. This number actually turns out to be wildly, wildly useful uh, because here is Professor Jeff O'Connell from Ohlone College in California to tell us why. Being a teacher of mathematics, um, I've always found it interesting that we teach imaginary numbers to algebra students, but there's never a there's never an application. And it isn't until you get into talking about things like differential equations and physics where imaginary numbers become this fantastic tool that we use in order to solve problems. And it isn't that the problem starts off with imaginary numbers or even ends with imaginary numbers, but all of the tools that we use in the middle, imaginary numbers are very much a part of that. For example, uh, when you are modeling maybe the suspension of a car, uh, that is what we call a spring mass system. When you're driving, you go over a bump and the car oscillates a little bit to kind of absorb the shock of that bump and give the people in the car a smooth ride. So when we create the equations to model that behavior, the equation doesn't have any imaginary numbers in it. And then the answer doesn't have any imaginary numbers in it. But in the middle, getting from the equation to the answer, many times we have to use imaginary numbers in order to get to that answer. 
<laughs> Adam's pulling a face. Um, Eleanor, help me unpack that a little bit, though, because Jeff was talking about using I, using imaginary numbers in modelling things that, that oscillate, so, you know, bouncing springs or, or pendulums. Tell us why it's useful in oscillations. So it turns out that you can use these numbers to think about anything that's got to do with angles and circles and periodic motion. And to give you a little bit of an idea about how that might work, I need you to go back and imagine our real number line again. So all the way going down to the negative numbers, up into the positive numbers, lay your normal numbers out on a line. Now, stick another axis on through the zero, going vertically this time. Uh So we're going to turn this into a pair of axes. And the vertical axis is going to go all the way up into positive multiples of i and all the way down into negative multiples of i. So once we've got our two axes, our real axis and our imaginary axis, I want you to think of every single point on that plane, on those axes, as representing a number. And now those numbers, we're going to call them complex numbers. Adam may like this title better than imaginary or impossible. Uh, Complex numbers are basically a mix of a real number and an imaginary number. Yeah, so, okay, I can deal with that. So on the, anything which is an interaction between the real numbers and the imaginary numbers is called a complex number. Exactly, like, so 3 plus 2i or 11 minus 6i. It's sort of the coordinates on that plane, where you find yourself. Now I want you to imagine putting four big red dots on plus 1, minus 1, plus i and minus i and drawing a big circle all the way around your axes. It's going to turn out that that circle has a very special relationship to the angle. Um, the, the points on that circle have a special relationship to the angle, and that's closely related to the nature of these complex numbers. And once you start to understand that, you get the opportunity to use these complex numbers, these things with a real bit and an imaginary bit, to model anything that has to do with angles and circles. And it turns out that springs and waves and all of the beautiful things in partial differential equations in physics are a bit like that. So you get this tool that is just spectacularly useful. Many, many hundreds of years after people try and solve these funny equations and invent this number I. Okay, here's the thing, Adam. I know, I know, I can read your expression. I've worked with you long enough. I know exactly what's going on in your head. I know you're not happy. But here is the thing. You know how mathematicians describe kind of moving around, doing mathematics like you're in a very thick thicket and you can't see where you are and it's all like messy and unusual and then there's a moment where you turn a corner and in front of you you see this beautifully landscaped garden and everything is absolutely perfect and you can see completely where you've been and this new perspective shows you how all of these things are completely connected what Eleanor has just described there is circles it's imaginary numbers, it's real numbers, it's triangles, it's angles, it's exponentials that's just hiding in there, you can't quite see it, it's pi is in there. All of them together form this unbelievably beautiful equation, which is e to the i pi plus one equals zero. And you're just going to have to believe me. (laughs) A few weeks ago we did a programme about aphantasia and the inability for some people to be able to imagine things in their head all i can think of now is the garden you just described yeah everything else you just said sounded like this (laughs) 
Okay, so you're in the garden, right? You're in the garden. Mm-hmm. Euler is standing in this garden and he's looking around. Is the heron there? The heron. <laughs> I don't think the heron was invited. The heron's, the heron's, in, the heron's in my garden. The heron disinvited. The heron's back in the thicket. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's standing in this garden and he looks around and he's got pie in one corner, right? Love that number. Great number. He's got imaginary numbers I in another corner. He's got zero. He's got one and he's got exponential e the exponential number and he looks around and he's like holy moly these are the five most beautiful extraordinary numbers in mathematics and there is one equation which links them all together it's ridiculous (laughs) isn't it it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Michael looks really excited about this as well. I'm, I'm feeling less confused because this garden is quite a peaceful place. It's a beautiful garden. There's only five things in it. You've all said something interesting, which is, and, and, and the, the clip from Jeff's also said that, that having to use imaginary numbers in order to solve equations which have real-world applications, you, the, the input are real numbers and the output are real numbers, obviously, because the imaginary numbers aren't real. <laughs> But in the middle, you're using imaginary numbers yeah. in order to get from... See, it's like going from London to Birmingham via a wormhole. Kind of. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In that it takes you into another dimension, mm. you know, which is what Eleanor was talking about. That, that axis that goes away from the, the normal number line is... Imagine it just going into another dimension. But you come back again in a very useful place. Do you know what? Honestly, your wormhole idea is actually is pretty good. It sort of is, isn't it, Eleanor? Well, you need imaginary numbers to model a wormhole, that's for sure. Oh, come on! <laughs> come on, I was doing so well there. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. We've talked about this sort of theoretical connection, this this wormhole that you get to go into. But the thing is, is that there might... That makes it sound like it's a maths trick. But those weird properties that imaginary numbers have don't just turn out to be useful for nice, fancy maths gardens. Uh, because you can actually also, you can also use imaginary numbers in order to make quite a lot of money. Right. I mean, uh, imaginary money is, that's, this is a, not an unproblematic concept. Mm. How does this work? It's real money. You can make money, but you just use imaginary numbers. And this is the entire basis of the 20, 20th century. Electronics industry uh, comes from, actually, a, a guy called uh, Charles Proteus Steinmetz. Proteus was his nickname, because when he was growing up, he was so clever that all his mates at school thought that if they, they just touched him, like, you know, he used to touch the Greek god Proteus, um, he would impart wisdom to them. So they, they said he was just so amazing. Uh, so he grew up in Prussia. He came over to America in uh, 1889, somewhere around then. And um, he came right at the time when everyone was trying to work out how to electrify America, so how to build all the, you know, the electrical infrastructure, like generators, you know, the electrifying houses and cities and how you, how you do all of this. And there was a big debate going on between uh, Edison and Tesla at the time uh, about whether it should be alternating current, AC, or direct current, DC. Edison was DC, Tesla was AC... And there were sort of problems with both in some ways. But uh, what uh, what they couldn't do with AC, which was really difficult, was modelling how circuits would behave. So the mathematical model of a circuit, you know, going from the generator all the way through to your light switch to your light bulb, was actually really difficult with AC because alternating current varies all the time, which means you have to build in a sort of time variation into your equations. So it gets really messy. And Steinmetz came in and said, oh, it's easy. You just use complex numbers. 
Sorry, so I just got excited about that. Story. You, you, you did get really excited there. For <laughs> the thing is, though, what, I mean, alternating current, positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative. Yeah. It's that oscillation, and it's if you think about something spinning around in a circle. If above the line you are positive, and below the line you're negative, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, They're it's all exactly the same story. The same thing. It's it's sort of when you look at it like that, you think, why didn't anybody see this before? But Steinmetz came in and just said, oh, you know, I can solve all of these problems. Gave them the complex maths that that would do it, and all of a sudden, all the electrical engineers were like, oh, we can do this. And AC just won, like won the day immediately. Because all of a sudden you could use really easy equations to model AC, and and imaginary numbers are absolutely crucial to working out the the, the modelling of AC for this. Absolutely crucial if you want something you can actually manage. Well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm slightly persuaded by that that argument. Tell, tell him the, the Dave Packard story <laughs> as well. Tell him that <laughs> so, one. So We're the amazing him. thing is that so you go from there, you get the birth of radio, you get everything sort of taking off at that point, and then people are doing electrical engineering degrees, and you've got this guy uh, called Bill Hewlett who does a master's degree uh, in electrical engineering, and he uses imaginary numbers. And B- Bill Hewlett takes this to his friend Dave Packard, who um, hold on a minute, <laughs> exactly. David Packard has a garage that they can build this thing that that Hewlett has kind of designed, which is an audio oscillator, basically a sound generator. And and they so they start building it in David Packard's garage. They form this company called Hewlett Packard. Uh, they bring out their first sort of electronics box, which they called the HP 200A, so that people didn't think that they just, like, that was their first invention. So they wanted to make it sound like they were, you know, they'd been like, on the production line for ages and ages. <laughs> and then, um, so then when they got the HP 200B going, uh, the Walt Disney Company bought eight of them, used them in the first broadcasting in cinemas of Fantasia, to recreate that amazing sort of symphony sound, what all built they? on the back of imaginary numbers. But what, what, what are they actually? What is the two? The HP two hundred B is basically a way of generating sound. So Walt Disney were looking for something that would faithfully recreate the sound of a symphony orchestra in a cinema. So they had to. It was basically the first proper decent sound system. Was well, what Hewlett Packard did. Do you know did. what sound is, Adam? I, well, no, Oscillating I, waves. I, I'm, no, it's, now you're talking about films. I, now I can get on He's board. In. I'm beginning to be persuaded you're by in. this. Well, that's it, because anything anything that rotates or oscillates, so helicopter blades, all of the sound stuff, I mean, this is everywhere that you look. And that includes, Adam, I think we're going to get you on this last one, uh, that includes things that are fundamental to our universe, doesn't it, Eleanor? Yes, it does. So we're going to get to quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. It really terrifies everyone, but um, but I'm going to give Adam a little bit of uh, a little bit of support here. So I, I'm going to push back Thank you, you, Adam, right here on this wave stuff. It is mathematically extraordinary and beautiful and incredible that all this stuff ends up connected, and then we can describe currents and sound waves and water waves using complex numbers. But I'm going to make you feel better because you don't absolutely have to use complex numbers for any of those things. We can do without. It's thank not as go- nice. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as nice. We'd have struggled to electrify America. But, you know, if you want to do clunkier mathematics, less beautiful mathematics, there are ways to describe oscillations without having to use a complex number. We can just use our old-fashioned angles and our sines and cosines and things that we knew. If you don't Otherwise. care about beauty. <laughs> yes. Well, that's yes. really interesting. Well, you want a though. really hard time. Mm. So, so is, <laughs> the imaginary numbers, are they, they simplify the, the complexities of, of actually making calculations, which are pretty hard to do? Yeah. So mm. it's a mathematical yes. convenience. Yes. Yes, until we get to quantum mechanics. I've oh. got bad news. 
So I was going to throw you a bone, but now I'm going to take us back in the other direction. So early in the 20th century, people are puzzling about how to model really small stuff, atoms, electrons, uh, atomic structure, etc. This is the birth of quantum mechanics. And what we do know by that point is that those things behave exceedingly oddly and that the physics we're going to have to use to describe those things is going to look nothing like all of our nice previous physics, which is often going to be wavy physics, for example. Um, And... A whole bunch of people are working on this in the sort of 1920s. Um, there's one version of it come up with by Heisenberg called Matrix Mechanics um, that looks pretty alien to everything physicists are used, used to. But at the same time, Erwin Schrödinger is working on shoehorning quantum mechanics into a really comforting, familiar form. So he wants to make it look like a wave equation. And he manages to. He manages to write down Schrödinger's equation, which looks like a wave equation. Um, and when you teach this stuff to undergraduates, right, you kind of pull the wool over their eyes and you show them this equation. You go, oh, it's fine. You know how to solve wave equations using complex numbers. This is just the same thing. Um, and to some extent it is. But Schrodinger's wave equation doesn't just use complex numbers to solve for a wave. It gives you a wave with a complex value, with an imaginary value. Or its amplitude. So my water wave, right, its amplitude is like how far off from the middle it is, how high my wave is. And if that's five feet, right, five is a nice real number. The waves that get involved in quantum mechanics, their amplitudes are given by multiples of I, complex numbers. Um, and that <laughs> looks like an application of imaginary numbers that we can't just get rid of. Yeah, I'm doing the face again. I mean, you are. <laughs> I, I was I got on board with the ACDC in America. I got on board with the general rotating things, but the amplitude <laughs> of a of a quantum state is not a whole number like the amplitude of a, like a water wave is. It's an imaginary number. Yes, I mean Schrodinger was unhappy too. So oh I mean, well, that makes me company. feel much better. <laughs> But um, it's now pretty widely accepted that in quantum mechanics, you just have to have states of the system that are directly described by complex numbers. Now, of course, that means that we don't have nice, neat, easy ways of interpreting that state. That's part of why we get so puzzled by quantum mechanics. But it doesn't look like we can change it. Essentially, Adam, these things cannot be imaginary only. They are in there embedded in the fundamental state of the universe. They are not a mathematical convenience. They are not just a made-up answer to an equation that no one else can solve. They are totally and completely integral. And they're there in the garden forever. Yes. Well, we're back in the garden. (laughs) So they're not impossible. They're not imaginary. They are real things. Absolutely. You're all nodding enthusiastically like i've had an epiphany (laughs) well you know on that note i think it's uh it's time to thank our guests thank you to dr ellen knox and dr michael brooks for joining us and helping me persuade adam so dr radford when it comes to imaginary numbers can we say case closed no professor fry i'm still not very happy that wasn't the question i asked if we could say case closed Eh, well okay you know what i'm gonna do it because we can yes because imaginary numbers were created to solve a problem and called imaginary by descartes as an insult but they are wildly useful in anything that oscillates or rotates is it say it and found in fundamental equations that describe the universe and therefore are not imaginary but very much real thank you imaginary 
In 2008, 23-year-old Norwegian student Martina Vik Magnusson went missing after a night out with friends in London. I wonder what on earth could have happened. We were so obsessed with just finding her. Then, twenty-three-year-old Martin Vic Magnuson was found partially buried in the basement. I'm Noelle McCaffey, and I've been following this story since Martina was killed, making a promise to Martina's family to find out what happened and find the only suspect in the case. Farouk Abdelhak. Leave me a message, and I'll get back to you. He's never been questioned by the police. Nobody's been able to speak to him until now. Murder in Mayfair. You can listen to the whole story now. Search for the documentary wherever you get your BBC podcasts.